We hit the stream button, didn't we? And we're starting. All right. I just popped out the. Um, we hit the stream button, didn't we? I just popped out the chat. Happy New Year. This is the first stream of the new year. And um, I'm very excited. As anyone who would have been participating in this knows, my goal is to live stream every morning of this 2023 that we are now in. And I'm excited. I think this is going to be, this is fun. This is my accountability platform to spend more time in, in my creative headspace. Uh, obviously, I'm an amateur. The audio is going to probably have issues. I'm trying to figure out the best microphone setup, the best audio balance. But I wanted to try this um, portrait mode, streaming in portrait mode, because I'm streaming to Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube live. And in portrait mode, I'm hoping to be able to generate shorts and clips to be used in YouTube shorts. So I have a whole bunch of goals moving into 2023. And um, it's going to be a great year. And what I'm hoping to do is to just be more... The word that I invented, the word I made up that I'm hoping will catch on is proactable. The ability to definitively, enthusiastically, proactively, and accurately complete your tasks with great rapidity. Just squash them, crush them, knock them out of the park. That's what proactable means. So here we are. New year, new you, new me. One of the first things I'm going to do is... Um, I did this in the last stream, but I did this in uh, I did it in landscape mode. I want to read the summary of the science of getting rich again today by Wallace D. Waddles. It's a book from 1910. On Saturday, when I was supposed to be doing schoolwork, I got sidetracked researching World War One, World War Two, and the Spanish flu. Just across those three events, over 120 million people died worldwide. And uh, I think what you focus on, you get more of. So I'm not going to focus on war. But what are some positive things we can focus on from that? It, what, a way to end, what a way to end 2022 is a reminder. Because this book, The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles, it was written and published, I should say published, in 1910. And Wallace D. Waddles passed away shortly thereafter. He didn't live to even make it to World War One, World War Two, or the Spanish flu. But I'm curious, given the content of his book, how his perspective may have changed. My guess is that the content may have changed slightly to discuss these sort of events but I don't think the perspective would have changed at all I think he still would have said no these same principles now I think the name the science of getting rich does this book a little bit of a disservice because it sounds 
I just don't think it does it justice. Uh, I, I view it more as how to stay in the creative plane, how to flow with the universe, etc., etc., so on and so forth. I think the science of getting rich just makes it sound like you're just chasing the dollars for the dollar's sake. But just remember to define richness as in a rich state of... Um, a rich state of, of energy, of health, of spirituality, of abundance, of all of those other aspects and facets of life. So if you remember that term, the science of getting rich basically means how to remain in that, how to attract and remain in that abundant state for your entire life. That's what it means to me. So moving into this year, I have a goal to read a book or part of a book, just spend time in a book reading daily. And that's in addition to other goals that I have. I need to figure out, seeing as reality stretch references, just the ability to stretch reality, to create. It's a creative endeavor. This is a creative headspace for me. Just figuring out how best to remain in this state and stretch reality according to our visions and goals and objectives and according to what we want to make of of ourselves this year and what we want to make of life and the influence and the legacy and the impact we want to have on on our community and all of those around us so i'm going to start by reading this summary again it's only four minutes i'm going to record it um I should read it. I should be able to read it in like under three minutes. And if so, I might upload it to TikTok or something. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, first, I'm going to mute this, turn off my camera and blow my nose. That's what I'm going to do first and foremost. One of the most important things of, of 2023. I'm back. So I'm thinking that the the highest fidelity audio quality is getting closer to my mic, but turning down the gain of the mic. And I'm just going to have to learn to say my P's and breathing, like back up a little bit. So that way it's, I just don't turn into like an awkward mouth breather on the mic, right? Anyway, so... One of the things that I'm going to do is if I'm going to be reading a book that's in public domain, I will read it on the stream. So I will, as the metaphor goes, kill two birds with one stone, right? Is that a metaphor or a... What's all those different definitions? I don't remember of a metaphor versus a whatever. That's something for the sandbox. I better add it. And again, starting fresh in 2023, my sandbox is where I put ideas that I have throughout the day of things I want to look into. 
but do not want to take time to look into right then and there because I have other things I need to be doing. I don't remember the different definitions or applications, right? What if something's a metaphor? What if it's um, what if it's symbolism? What are the other words? Comp- I don't know. I don't know. See, added it to my sandbox. Something I need to refresh myself on. All right, so here we go. All right, I'm going to read the summary of the science of getting rich. It's chapter 17 in Wallace D. Waddle's book, The Science of Getting Rich. All right, here we go. Chapter 17, Summary of the Science of Getting Rich, by Wallace D. Waddles. There is a thinking stuff from which all things are made, and which, in its original state, permeates, penetrates, and fills the interspaces of the universe. A thought in this substance produces the thing that is imaged by the thought. Man can form things in his thought, and by impressing his thought upon formless substance can cause the thing he thinks about to be created. In order to do this, man must pass from the competitive to the creative mind. Otherwise, he cannot be in harmony with a formless intelligence which is always creative and never competitive in spirit. Man may come into full harmony with the formless substance by entertaining a lively and sincere gratitude for the blessings it bestows upon him. Gratitude unifies the mind of man with the intelligence of substance, so that man's thoughts are received by the formless. Man can remain upon the creative plane only by uniting himself with the formless intelligence through a deep and continuous feeling of gratitude. Man must form a clear and definite mental image of the things he wishes to have, to do, or to become, and he must hold this mental image in his thoughts while being deeply grateful to the Supreme that all his desires are granted to him. The man who wishes to get rich must spend his leisure hours in contemplating his vision and in earnest thanksgiving that the reality is being given to him. Too much stress cannot be laid on the importance of frequent contemplation of the mental image coupled with unwavering faith and devout gratitude. This is the process by which the impression is given to the formless and the creative forces set in motion. The creative energy works through the established channels of natural growth and of the industrial and social order. All that is included in his mental image will surely be brought to the man who follows the instructions given above, and whose faith does not waver. What he wants will come to him through the ways of established trade and commerce. In order to receive his own when it shall come to him, man must be active, and this activity can only consist in more than filling his present place. He must keep in mind the purpose to get rich through the realization of his mental image, and he must do, every day, all that can be done that day, taking care to do each act in a successful manner. He must give to every man a use value in excess of the cash value he receives, so that each transaction makes for more life, and he must so hold the advancing thought that the impression of increase will be communicated to all with whom he comes in contact. The men and women who practice the foregoing instructions will certainly get rich, and the riches they receive will be in exact proportion to the definiteness of their vision, the fixity of their purpose, the steadiness of their faith, and the depth of the gratitude.
the steadiness of their faith and the depth the steadiness of their faith and the depth of their gratitude. <laughs> that ends there. I was like, that was a that was a head scratcher and eyebrow razor. I was like, what? what? So I could just truncate that. So I played some background music from um, David Feslian of. Feslian Studios or Faslian Studios. I don't know how you pronounce it, but this is the thing right here. I love this guy. Feslianstudios.com. Royalty-free background instrumental downloads. So it's kind of funny when I'm viewing, when I have this screen set up the way I have it set up. It is basically converting all the websites to mobile format, which is kind of funny. So I don't know if the portrait thing is going to work long term because I don't like looking at content in mobile format. Of course, I could probably just come up here and like zoom out and then it will like give me some sort of some sort of something that looks closer to the desktop site. But I don't know streaming in portrait mode is a fun exercise, at least for today. It might change back and forth from one to the other. Who knows? I, I'm not sure. But anyway, so David Feslian has this royalty-free site full of a very wonderful, high-quality music, in my opinion. Anyway, let's see what happened with that video recording I just did. Uh-huh, looks like this one. Chapter 17, Summary of the Science of Getting Rich, by Wallace D. Waddles. There is a thinking stuff from which all things are made, and which, in its original state, permeates, penetrates, and fills the interspaces of the universe. A thought in this substance produces the thing that is imaged by the thought. Man can form things in his thought, and by impressing his thought upon formless substance can cause the thing he thinks about to be created. In order to do this, man must pass from the competitive to the creative mind. Otherwise, he cannot be in harmony. Suitable. Suitable. I think my voice is too quiet. Let me turn it up on the mixer. See, like like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a professional. I don't know how the whole mixing thing works. All I know is I want my voice to be louder, but I don't want it to like hit into the orange or red section of this mixer. Right, because I have this mixer here from OBS Studio. I was playing around. Like, there's got to be a way to turn up like the overall gain of an entire audio track that's being output into. Because I use the restream platform, and then it gets mixed and pushed out to all these other things. Right. I wonder what's a better way for me to set up like to view a monitor huh doesn't matter anyway so when I read a book that is in public domain I'm going to basically set up a YouTube channel called like reality stretch reads or something like that and I'm just going to upload that and then maybe push it out as a separate podcast called like reality stretch reads or something so let's play around with that 
right now by reading the first chapter of The Science of Getting Rich. And if I like the format, if I like the content, then I will... There's Wallace Waddles, the man himself, right there, huh? There he is, dapper fellow. This book was $1 when it came out in 1910. Alright, so let's start by reading the preface. It's short. It's very short. So I'm going to hit record. And we're going to do the preface. Should I do like some sort of intro on this first? Why not? An intro to each section? Perhaps. I'll just say... This is the... Reality... Stretch... Reads... What should I call it? A program, podcast, stream? I don't know. This is the Reality Stretch Reads Podcast. Maybe. I don't know. This is the Reality Stretch Reads Podcast. Why not? And then I'll just say the book. This is the science. This is a reading of the preface to the science of getting rich by Wallace D. Waddles, published in 1910. This content, this book is in the public domain read by Spencer Ingram copyright copyright Spencer Ingram sure because the production or the reading of the audiobook is something I'm setting up right now. Someone read the audiobook. It is available on podcast apps. And they did a nice job. Um, they did a very nice job. But my logic is since this is my public accountability, my creative headspace, I want to reread these things because this is also a way for me to hold myself accountable. Since I want to read part of a portion of a book every single day, The Science of Getting Rich is a very short and concise audiobook um, uh, e- book. This is a re- reading of the preface to The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles. This book is in the public domain, read by Spencer Ingram, copyright Spencer Ingram. 2023. All right, let's get into it. Let's go. 
this is the reality. Uh, I don't like where the gain is. Let me stop this and reset. This is the reality stretch reads podcast. I'm going to turn this down here. I just got to find a comfortable level for this volume right here. Let's try that. That looks good. This is the reality stretch reads podcast. This is a reading of the preface to the science of getting rich by Wallace D. Waddles published in 1910. This book is in the public domain read by Spencer Ingram copyright Spencer Ingram 2023 preface. This book is pragmatical, not philosophical, a practical manual, not a treatise upon theories. <laughs> Who says treatise like that? Is it treatise or treatise? Not a treatise. 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 That was a great, great recording. Treatise. Did you say treatise? Treatise. Pronunciation. Let's see how it works. Treatise. 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 It's like a fetus, but it's treatise. Yeah, who says treatise? Reset. This is the Reality Stretch Reads podcast. This is a reading of the preface to The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles, published in 1910. This book is in the public domain, read by Spencer Ingram, copyright Spencer Ingram, 2023. Preface. This book is pragmatical, not philosophical, a practical manual, not a treatise upon theories. It is intended for the men and women whose pressing need is for money, who which to get rich first and philosophize. All right, one more, one more reset. This is fun because I'm trying to see if I can do it in a single take. So I'm just going to stumble and fumble, but I won't reset it again this time, I promise. Here we go. Let's do this. This is the Reality Stretch Reads podcast. This is a reading of the preface to The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace D. Waddles, published in 1910. This book is in the public domain, read by Spencer Ingram, copyright Spencer Ingram, 2023. Preface. This book is pragmatical, not philosophical, a practical manual, not a treatise upon theories. It is intended for the men and women whose most pressing need is for money, who wish to get rich first and philosophize afterwards. It is for those who have, so far, found neither the time, the means, nor the opportunity to go deeply into the study of metaphysics, but who want results and who are willing to take the conclusions of science as a basis for action, without going into all the process by which those conclusions were reached. It is expected that the reader will take the fundamental statements upon faith, just as he would take statements concerning a law of electrical action if they were promulgated by a Marconi or an Edison, and taking the statements upon faith that he will prove their truth by acting upon them without fear or hesitation. Every man or woman who does this will certainly get rich, for the science herein applied is an exact science, and failure is impossible. For the benefit, however, of those who wish to investigate the philosophical theories and so secure a logical basis for their faith, I will here cite certain authorities. The monistic theory of the universe, the theory that one is all and that all is one, that one substance manifests itself as the seeming many elements of the material world, is of Hindu origin and has been gradually winning its way into the thought of the Western world for 200 years. 
It is the foundation of all the Oriental philosophies and of those of Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, Schopenhauer, Hegel, and Emerson. The reader who would dig in the reader who would dig to the philosophical foundations is advised to read Hegel and Emerson, and he will do well to read The Eternal News, a very excellent pamphlet published by J.J. Brown, 300 Cathcart Road, Govan Hill, Glasgow, Scotland. He may also find some help in a series of articles written by the author, which were published in Nautilus during the spring and summer of 1909 under the title, What is Truth? In writing this book, I have sacrificed all other considerations to plainness and simplicity of style so that all might understand. The plan of action laid down herein was deduced from the conclusions of philosophy. It has been thoroughly tested and bears the supreme test of practical experiment. It works. If you wish to know how the conclusions were arrived at, read the writings of the authors mentioned above. And if you wish to recap the fruits of their philosophies in actual practice, read this book and do exactly as it tells you to do. The author, Wallace D. Waddles. All right, so that's the preface. Bada boom. I hit stop recording. So I'm streaming, but I hit start recording, and then I hit stop recording. That was so much fun. I need to get to my productive day. But how long is the first chapter? It's not long. No, it's not long. I'm going to go ahead and read it. So let's do the same thing, but with the first chapter. All right, here we go. Should I do like my little intro thing for every single one? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe I'll. I just I just don't want it to distract. I'd rather just get into the meat of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, let's do it. Let's just get into it. Here we go. Chapter one: The right to be rich. Whatever may be said in praise of poverty, the fact remains that it is not possible to live a really complete or successful life unless one is rich. No man can rise to his greatest possible height in talent or soul development unless he has plenty of money. For to unfold the soul and to develop talent, he must have many things to use, and he cannot have these things unless he has money to buy with them. So the rule is if I screw up in the first paragraph, I ought to get a do-over, <laughs> all right? It's not by with them, it's by them with. A little manifestation of dyslexia, I suppose. Here we go. Chapter 1. The Right to be Rich Whatever may be said in praise of poverty, the fact remains that it is not possible to live a really complete or successful life unless one is rich. No man can rise to his greatest possible height in talent or soul development unless he has plenty of money. For to unfold the soul and to develop talent, he must have many things to use, and he cannot have these things unless he has money to buy them with. 
Man develops in mind, soul, and body by making use of things, and society is so organized that man must have money in order to become the possessor of things. Therefore, the basis of all advancement for man must be the science of getting rich. The object of all life is development, and everything that lives has an inalienable right to all the development that it is capable of attaining. Man's right to life means his right to have the free and unrestricted use of all the things which may be necessary to his fullest mental, spiritual, and physical unfoldment, or in other words, his right to be rich. In this book, I shall not speak of riches in a figurative way. To be really rich does not mean to be satisfied or contented with a little. No man ought to be satisfied with a little if he is capable of using and enjoying more. The purpose of nature is the advancement and unfoldment of life, and every man should have all that he can contribute to the power, elegance, beauty, and richness of life. To be content with less is sinful. The man who owns all he wants for the living of all the life he is capable of living is rich, and no man who has not plenty of money can have all he wants. Life has advanced so far and become so complex that even the most ordinary man or woman requires a great amount of wealth in order to live in a manner that even approaches completeness. Every person naturally wants to become all that he is capable of becoming. This desire to realize innate possibilities is inherent in human nature. We cannot help wanting to be all that we can be. Success in life is becoming what you want to be. You can become what you want to be only by making use of things, and you can have the free use of things only as you become rich enough to buy them. To understand the science of getting rich is therefore the most essential of all knowledge. There is nothing wrong in wanting to get rich. The desire for riches is really the desire for a richer, fuller, and more abundant life, and that desire is praiseworthy. The man who does not desire to live more abundantly is abnormal. And so the man who does not desire to have money enough to buy all he wants is abnormal. There are three motives for which we live. We live for the body, we live for the mind, and we live for the soul. No one of these is better or holier than the other. All are alike desirable. And no one of the three, body, mind, or soul, can live fully if either of the others is cut short of full life and expression it is not right or noble to live only for the soul and deny mind or body, and it is wrong to live for the intellect and deny body and soul. We are all acquainted with the loathsome consequences of living for the body and denying both mind and soul, and we see that real life means the complete expression of all that man can give forth through body, mind, and soul. Whatever he may say, no man can really be happy or satisfied unless his body is living in fully is living fully in every function, and unless the same is true of his mind and his soul. Wherever there is unexpressed possibility or function not performed, there is unsatisfied desire. Desire is possibility seeking expression or function seeking performance. Man cannot live fully in body without good food, comfortable clothing, and warm shelter, and without freedom from excessive toil. Rest and recreation are also necessary to his physical life. He cannot live fully in mind without books and time to study them, without opportunity for travel and observation, or without intellectual companionship. To live fully in mind, he must have intellectual recreations and must surround himself 
with all the objects of art and beauty he is capable of using and appreciating. To live fully in soul, man must have love, and love is denied expression by poverty. Man's highest happiness is found in the bestowal of benefits on those he loves. Love finds its most natural and spontaneous expression in giving. The man who has nothing to give cannot fill his place as a husband or father, as a citizen, or as a man. It is in the use of material things that man finds full life for his body, develops his mind, and unfolds his soul. It is therefore of supreme importance to him that he should be rich. It is perfectly right that you should desire to be rich. If you are a normal man or woman, you cannot help doing so. It is perfectly right that you should give your best attention to the science of getting rich, for it is the noblest and most necessary of all studies. If you neglect this study, you are, a dere you are derelict in your duty to yourself, to God, and to humanity. For you can render God and humanity no greater service than to make the most of yourself. Alright, so that's another chapter done. Boom. Now, there are a few things that I want to give full treatment to in regards to this content. Me, of course, reading this content does not connote a, an endorsement of the content. Um, uh, simply just a, a recitation of it. I will say there's some powerful statements in that first chapter that really give me pause because they go somewhat contrary to what I, I don't, well, they're not contrary. I just have a different perspective on, on life in some ways. Like he says that the, the pursuit of riches is is great and you're derelict in your duties if you don't pursue riches because it's through riches that we're able to attain a full material expression of of our potential if that makes sense and that that's that makes perfect sense to me but again to me with my religious background and what I believe about the purpose of this life and the afterlife, I think he's spot on. But I would just, I would personally change that perspective because I see what he's saying and I agree with it. But I think more deep than the the riches themselves is the purpose for which those riches are attained. And he says that's full expression of oneself, and that's fine. I agree, but. To me, that's why I have the phrase, all of life is time and people. So I would personally take this book. And like you said, it's written for people whose first and pressing need is to get money quickly. And that's fine. That's great. That makes sense. Maybe if he was writing to people who already had money and an abundance thereof, maybe he would change his his tone a little bit more towards cultivating the proper use of time and building relationships with people perhaps he would do that i'm not sure he did write a few other books i'll have to look them up and and see if they address that but to me everything he said is true i would just change the framing from 
material riches and wealth and affluence, I would change the spirit of that to, like he said, it's uh, it's not a proper substitute to say the aim is to be contented or at peace with oneself. I'm not saying that as well. But what I'm saying is we should strive for a solid relationship with God and with the rest of humanity and being able to give generously, receive and give energy, whether that energy takes the form of money, money is just an energy. But I think it is an important energy and definitely one that's necessary for subsistence in this life. But I would just I would I would encompass in that a generally general state because we also know even though money is required in most cases to fully express oneself, we also know that money having money in and of itself does not bring happiness. There's more to the puzzle. There are plenty of people out there who are well, let me rephrase this. He's gonna talk later in the book about being on the competitive versus the creative plane. I would I would say and I that context I think is important for framing chapter one. So going back to some circular reasoning, let me change this up a little bit. Someone who is on the competitive plane and has amassed a great fortune, I think it's very probable that happiness has eluded them and they're not finding satisfaction in their riches. But later in the book, Wallace Waddles talks about being on the creative plane rather than the competitive plane. And uh, uh, I think I think show me someone who is truly in the comp- the creative plane with a great fortune who is not happy. I think someone who's in the creative plane can be happy regardless of the fortune. But of course, if they have fortune, they are more fully able to express themselves and be generous and. If he really has boiled this down to an exact science, then no one can claim that riches can elude them. Because if you take what Wallace is saying here on face value, it is a hard science, an exact science by which anyone can in which anyone can participate. So no one really has any excuses for not being able to attract the abundance into their life, material abundance and financial abundance. If you accept that the content in this book is um, a hard science. So the next chapter is very fascinating. Let's read it real quick. So today we'll have done the preface and chapter one and chapter two. There's only 17 chapters tomorrow. I'll get an earlier start on the day. I forgot to set my alarm and I slept in. But it's also good to catch up on sleep. Sleep is healthy. All right, so I want to do chapter two, and then I'll be done for the day, and I'll end the stream. But thank you for participating with me. Let's go. Chapter two, there is a science of getting rich. There is a science of getting rich, and it is an exact science, like algebra or arithmetic. 
There are certain laws which govern the process of acquiring riches. Once these laws are learned and obeyed by any man, he will get rich with mathematical certainty. The ownership of money and property comes as a result of doing things in a certain way. Those who do things in this certain way, whether on purpose or accidentally, get rich. While those who do not do these things in a certain way, no matter how hard they work or how able they are, remain poor. Oh, I messed up the second paragraph in. So, we'll say if you mess up in the first or second paragraph, you get a do-over. We're early enough, early enough into this that if I was trying to listen to an audiobook and the person kept stumbling and screwing it up, it might distract me. So, let's try to minimize that. But if we get like five paragraphs in, we're just going to go. We're just going to go for it. So, here we go. Chapter 2. There is a science of getting rich. There is a science of getting rich, and it is an exact science, like algebra or arithmetic. There are certain laws which govern the process of acquiring riches. Once these laws are learned and obeyed by any man, he will get rich with mathematical certainty. The ownership of money and property comes as a result of doing things in a certain way. Those who do things in this certain way, whether on purpose or accidentally, get rich. While those who do not do these things in this certain way, no matter... <laughs> Why do I struggle with that? One more time. Chapter 2. There is a science of getting rich. There is a science of getting rich, and it is an exact science, like algebra or arithmetic. There are certain laws which govern the process of acquiring riches... Once these laws are learned and obeyed by any man, he will get rich with mathematical certainty. The ownership of money and property comes as a result of doing things in a certain way. Those who do things in this certain way, whether on purpose or accidentally, get rich. While those who do not do things in this certain way, no matter how hard they work or how hard they are or how able they are, remain poor. It is a natural law that like causes always produce like effects, and therefore any man or woman who learns to do things in this certain way will infallibly get rich. That the above statement is true is shown by the following facts. Getting rich is not a matter of environment, for if it were, all the people in certain neighborhoods would become wealthy. The people of one city would all be rich, while those of other towns would all be poor. Or the inhabitants of one state would roll in wealth, while those of an adjoining state would be in poverty. But everywhere we see rich and poor living side by side in the same environment and often engaged in the same vocations. When two men are in the same locality and in the same business, and one gets, gets rich while the other remains poor, it shows that getting rich is not primarily a matter of environment. Some environments may be more favorable than others, but when two men in the same business are in the same neighborhood and one gets rich while the other fails, it indicates that getting rich is the result of doing things in a certain way. And further, the ability to do things in this certain way is not due solely to the possession of talent. For many people who have great talent remain poor, while others who have very little talent get rich. Studying the people who have got rich, we find that they are an average lot in all respects. 
having no greater talents and abilities than other men. It is evident that they do not get rich because they possess talents and abilities that other men have not, but because they happen to do things in a certain way. Getting rich is not the result of saving or thrift. Many very penurious people are poor, while free spenders often get rich. Nor is getting rich due to doing things which others fail to do. For two men in the same business often do almost exactly the same things, and if one gets rich while the other remains poor or becomes a bankrupt. From all these things, we must come to the conclusion that getting rich is the result of doing things in a certain way. If getting rich is the result of doing things in a certain way, and if like causes always produce like effects, then any man or woman who can do things in that way can become rich, and the whole matter is brought within the domain of exact science. The question arises here whether this certain way may not be so difficult that only a few may follow it. This cannot be true. As we have seen, so far as natural ability is concerned, talented people get rich and blockheads get rich. Intellectually brilliant people get rich and very stupid people get rich. Physically strong people get rich and weak and sickly people get rich. Some degree of ability to think and understand is, of course, essential. But insofar as natural ability is concerned, any man or woman who has sense enough to read and understand these words can certainly get rich. Also, we have seen that it is not a matter of environment. Location counts for something. One would not go to the heart of the Sahara and expect to do successful business. Getting rich involves the necessity of dealing with men, and of being where there are people to deal with. And if these people are inclined to deal in the way you want to deal, so much the better. But that is about as far as environment goes. If anybody else in your town can get rich, so can you. And if anybody else in your state can get rich, so can you. Again, it is not a matter of choosing some particular business or profession, People get rich in every business and in every profession, while their next-door neighbors in the same vocation remain in poverty. It is true that you will do best in a business which you like and which is congenial to you, and if you have certain talents which are well-developed, you will do best in a business which calls for the exercise of those talents. Also, you will do best in a business which is suited to your locality. An ice cream parlor would do better in a warm climate than in Greenland, and a salmon fishery will succeed better in the Northwest than in Florida, where there are no salmon. But aside from these general limitations, getting rich is not dependent upon your engaging in some particular business, but upon your learning to do things in a certain way. If you are now in business and anybody else in your locality is getting rich in the same business while you are not getting rich, it is because you are not doing things in the same way that the other person is doing them. No one is prevented from getting rich by lack of capital. True, as you get capital, the increase becomes more easy and rapid, but one who has capital is already rich and does not need to consider how to become so. No matter how poor you may be, if you begin to do things in the certain way, you will begin to get rich and you will begin to have capital. 
The getting of capital is a part of the process of getting rich, and it is a part of the result which invariably follows the doing of things in the certain way. You may be the poorest man on the continent and be deeply in debt. You may have neither friends, influence, nor resources. But if you begin to do things in this way, you must infallibly begin to get rich, for, your, for like causes must produce like effects. If you have no capital, you can get capital. If you are in the wrong business, you can get into the right business. If you are in the wrong location, you can go to the right location, and so and you can do so by being in your present business and in your present location. And you can do so by beginning in your present business and in your present location to do things in the certain way which causes success. Man, a little spotty there at the end, huh? Oh, a little spotty there at the end. Mm. Ah, maybe the whole thing was spotty, man. Sketch City. That's great, though. I love this book. I've listened to this a few times on audiobook. And what a way to ring in the new year. I'm having so much fun. Let's do another verse. Let's do another chapter. All right, here we go. Chapter 3. Is Opportunity Monopolized? No man is kept poor because opportunity has been taken away from him, because other people have monopolized the wealth and have put a fence around it. You may be shut off from engaging in business in certain lines, but there are other channels open to you. Probably it would be hard for you to get control of any of the great railroad systems. That field is pretty well monopolized. But the electric railway business is still in its infancy and offers plenty of scope for enterprise and it will be but a very few years until traffic and transportation through the air will become a great industry, and in all its branches will give employment to hundreds of thousands and perhaps to millions of people. Why not turn your attention to the development of aerial transportation instead of competing with J.J. Hill and others for a chance in the steam railway world? It is quite true that if you are a workman in the employ of the Steel Trust, you have very little chance of becoming the owner of the plant in which you work. But it is also true that if you will commence to act in a certain way, you can soon leave the employee of the steel trust. You can buy a farm of from 10 to 40 acres and engage in business as a producer of foodstuffs. There is great opportunity at this time for men who will live upon small tracts of land and cultivate the same intensively. Such men will certainly get rich. You may say that it is impossible for you to get the land, but I am going to prove to you that it is not impossible and that you can certainly get a farm if you will go to work in a certain way. At different periods, the tide of opportunity sets in different directions, according to the needs of the whole and the particular stage of social evolution which has been reached. At present, in America, it is setting towards agriculture and the allied industries and professions. Today, opportunity is open before the farmer in his line more than before the factory worker in his line. It is open before the businessman who supplies the farmer more than before the one who supplies the factory worker, and before the professional man who waits upon the farmer more than before the one who serves the working class. There is abundance of opportunity for the man who will go with the tide instead of trying to swim against it. So the factory workers, either as individuals or as a class, are not deprived of opportunity. The workers are not being kept down by their masters. 
They are not being ground by the trusts and combinations of capital. As a class, they are where they are because they do not do things in a certain way. If the workers of America chose to do so, they could follow the example of their brothers in Belgium and other countries and establish great department stores and cooperative industries. They could elect men of their own class to office and pass laws favoring the development of such cooperative industries, and in a few years they could take peaceable possession of the industrial field. The working class may become the master class whenever they will begin to do things in a certain way. The law of wealth is the same for them as it is for all others. This they must learn, and they will remain where they are as long as they continue to do as they do. The individual worker, however, is not held down by the ignorance or the mental slothfulness of his class. He can follow the tide of opportunity to riches, and this book will tell him how. No one is kept in poverty by a shortness in the supply of riches. There is more than enough for all. A place as large as the capital at Washington might be built for every family on earth from the building material in the United States alone. And under intensive cultivation, this country would produce wool, cotton, linen, and silk enough to clothe each person in the, in the world finer than Solomon was arrayed in all his glory together with food enough to feed them all luxuriously. The visible supply is practically inexhaustible, and the invisible supply really is inexhaustible. Everything you see on earth is made from one original substance, out of which all things proceed. New forms are constantly being made, and older ones are dissolving, but all are shapes assumed by one thing. There is no limit to the supply of formless stuff or original substance. The universe is made out of it, but it was not all used in making the universe. The spaces in, through, and between the forms of the visible universe are permeated and filled with the original substance, with the formless stuff, with the raw material of all things. Ten thousand times as much as has been made might still be made, and even then we should not have exhausted the supply of universal raw material. No man, therefore, is poor because nature is poor, or because there is not enough to go around. Nature is an inexhaustible storehouse of riches. The supply will never run short. Original substance is alive with creative energy and is constantly producing more forms. When the supply of building material is exhausted, more will be produced. When the soil is exhausted so that foodstuffs and materials for clothing will no longer grow upon it, it will be renewed or more soil will be made. When all the gold and silver has been dug from the earth, if man is still in such a stage of social development that he needs gold and silver, more will be produced from the formless. The formless stuff responds to the needs of man. It will not let him be without any good thing. This is true of man collectively. The race as a whole is always abundantly rich, and if individuals are poor, it is because they do not follow the certain way of doing things which makes the individual man rich. The formless stuff is intelligent. It is stuff which thinks. It is alive and it is always impelled toward more life. It is the natural and inherent impulse of life to seek to live more. It is the nature of intelligence to enlarge itself, and of consciousness to seek to extend its boundaries and find fuller expression. 
The universe of forms has been made by formless living substance, throwing itself into form in order to express itself more fully. The universe is a great living presence, always moving inherently toward more life and fuller functioning. Nature is formed for the advancement of life. Its impelling motive is the increase of life. For this cause, everything which can possibly minister to life is bountifully provided. But there can be no lack unless God is to contradict himself and nullify his own words. You are not kept poor by lack in the supply of riches. It is a fact which I shall demonstrate a little farther on that even the resources of the formless supply are at the command of the man or woman who will act and think in a certain way. I love this chapter because it dates this work. He's talking about how, um, he's talking about how like back then in that day, opportunity was trending towards agricultural development. You would be more successful going into a rural area, buying a farm and cultivating the land to produce foodstuffs to feed the growing population that's where the balance of opportunity was at that time. He talked about steel mills. I'd imagine at this stage that what's the what's the steel baron's name? What's that? Um, is it Andrew Carnegie? I think Andrew Carnegie is the steel guy, right? Let's look it up. I think Andrew Carnegie is the steel guy. Andrew Carnegie, American industrialist. Look at this dude. Uh huh. Carnegie led the expansion of the American steel industry in the late 19th century. Yeah, Andrew Carnegie's the steel guy, and the late 19th century. So we're looking at the the late 1800s, and I'm sure that spilled into the early 1900s. Uh, let's see here. Wow, he wrote a whole bunch of books too. We'll have to investigate those. I'm going to add them to the sandbox. Andrew Carnegie books need to be read. Well, I think that's it for today. I want to read the whole freaking thing, but I'm not going to. I'll read more tomorrow. Ciao.